Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. All right, take your Bibles out. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. We are in a series breaking through and looking at how there are strongholds and prisons and things in our life that keep us, hold us back from doing all that God wants us to do. And so we're looking about how those strongholds can come down. Last week we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 10 and verses three to five where it talks about casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing our thoughts into captivity to make it obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we talked about how to deal with those thought lives that come against the word of God and how to bring those strongholds down. And I think we marched around Jericho a little bit last uh, Sunday. Had a great time. Uh, This morning we're going to look at another stronghold that's got to come down that I think is probably one of the major culprits of a stronghold in our lives, and that's offense. Offense. It is amazing how easily offended we get or we become, and if we allow it, that offense in our life can become a stronghold that keeps us from doing what God wants us to do, divides the body of Christ. In fact, we're easily offended. You've got to pray more about what you post on the internet anymore than major decisions in your life because you're going to offend somebody. I don't care what you say, what you do, what position you take, you're going to offend somebody. I, I preach about every week, and when I'm preaching on Sunday mornings, I would tell you there's probably not a Sunday that goes by I don't offend somebody. I, I offend people all the time by what I say. And I, I, uh, my father-in-law, who was a preacher as well, used to say, you never know what you're going to say when you're under the anointing. And uh, he, would, he would blame everything he said to the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. Well, I, I will say a lot of what I say that is off kilter is probably my own flesh. And so it's not the anointing. And I've offended people. And some people will take the time and drop, drop me a note and say, you said this and this and this. And I thank, I'm thankful they do that. And I get a chance to apologize. Because I will, you know, you're, you're just, mind gets racing. And you get going and you say what comes on your mind and sometimes... It just kind of comes out wrong, and you know what I'm talking about because we all do it. What happened at the time when we could agree to disagree? Now, if you take a political stance, it divides friends, it divides family. If you take a a stance on social issues, whatever it may be, uh, it creates division, and so we are so easily offended and caught up in that. Even in the church, in the church, something doesn't go our way. Somebody didn't shake my hand. Somebody made a comment. Somebody didn't use me here or there. Somebody looked at me the wrong way. Somebody said something, we get offended, and I have seen families leave the church because of offense. And the sad thing is many of those aren't in church anywhere else. Some of them will leave and pack up and go to another church, and often they don't even go back to church at all. In fact, I would venture to say the low country is is littered with families all over the place who are not in church today because somebody offended them. Someone hurt their feelings. And the problem is, instead of dealing with it, we let it get in our spirit. We brood over that thing. It grows, and and we will uproot our kids and ourselves and our lives from accountability, discipleship, and everything else because someone offended us. And I will tell you, the enemy is laughing all the way. 
because we have just allowed him to win. We've just given into his tactics. And people, you may not understand it, but listen to me. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. My battle is not with you. Yours is not with me. It's not with one another. We wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in heavenly places, in high places. Our battle is against Satan himself. And his mission statement is in John 10, 10. The thief comes but for to steal, kill, and destroy, and he wants to take you out. And one of the things he does is try to divide his church, and he will do it one family at a time, one person at a time, until that offense grows and builds, and we can no longer worship together, serve together, or act effectively as a unified body to do what God has called us to do. Offense, with one little statement, one little moment, it just happens, and we bear that inside. And the trouble is, once we've been offended once, we start looking for it. And you said this about me, and now everything you say, I'm jumping on it, looking at it, hearing it. And, and if we're not careful, we begin to build these bricks up, these walls up, these strongholds in our life. And sometimes you can even look back and say, where did it all start? We know there's a separation. We know there's division. We know there's a divide. But when you go back and look, how did it all start? You can't even remember. You don't even know how it all began. It just started, it just happened, and now we got this stronghold built all around us that separates us from other members of the body of Christ or the family of God. So let's stand together. We're gonna look at God's word and we're gonna see what God's solution is today. And I trust that the word of God will have its intended work and purpose in our lives this morning. It's found in Matthew chapter five, the Sermon on the Mount. Really what you find here is the ethics of the kingdom of God. These five, six, and seven are what kingdom people live like, what their lives should look like, how we should act, how we should respond. And yet these are very, very challenging words. Listen to them. You've heard it said that it was said to people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin. And anyone who says to you, fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him or on the way or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge will hand you over to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out till you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you so much. We thank you for your word, the word of God to us today. I pray you will help me as I preach share with what we need to hear, what we need to receive. I pray, Holy Spirit, you will open up our hearts and minds. May we not shut out this word today, but may we let the Holy Spirit have his intended work in us. We love you, God. We thank you for your sweet presence. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. He opens this passage, this portion of the Sermon on the Mount with, you have heard it said. In other words, you know what the law says. You know what the, the rules are. You know as Jewish people, you grew up with this. You've heard it said over and over again in your teachings. And he goes back to commandment number six. Commandment number six is one that says, do not murder. Thou shalt not murder. Now, 
How many would, would, would agree that if someone commits murder, they ought to pay the crime? They ought to be punished for their, what they've done. Let me see your hands. Do you kind of agree with that? If you murder somebody, man, punishment should be coming. It's due them. You've taken somebody out, somebody else's life away. You should be punished for their crime. I think everybody would agree with that. But then he goes on to say, but I say unto you, if you are angry, you're guilty of judgment. Then we go, wait a minute, God, that's not fair. Time out. I, did, I, I didn't bargain for that. I haven't shot anybody recently, but, oh, man. And, and we do fine with the first part, but the words get very challenging. The word gets very hard to live out when we go on with the rest of this passage of Scripture. To compare someone who is angry or someone who says, you fool, to a murderer seems to us in our mind a bit overboard. We say, Jesus, you really mean that? Aren't you going just a little bit too far? Isn't this a little bit too drastic? And, and, and we really, if we really took this heart, I'm in danger of hellfire. I've been angry a lot. I've been angry with a lot of people over the years. I, I, wow. I've said a lot of things that would put me in danger of exactly what he talks about right here in the word of God. I, and so it seems a bit overboard to say that someone who's angry or says you fool is guilty of hellfire. But here's the problem. We tend to look on the outward expression of what we do, not what is on the heart. I talked about that some last week when I talked about bringing your thoughts into captivity. What we do on the outside is only a symptom of what's going on on the inside. And the reality is the root cause of anger is the very same root cause for murder. The root cause for calling somebody a fool is the same thing as murdering them in your heart or murdering them with your lips. It is the very same root cause, and God is saying if we are gonna be kingdom people, we've gotta begin to deal with the root of the issue inside of us. And so we may say, we may not kill anybody, but I hate you with my guts. And God says, you are just as guilty because you've got the root going on inside of you. Understand what I'm saying here? It is the very same root. The root is anger, the root is resentment, the root is offense, and all these things play into the action of murder or whatever else we may say about some, somebody. If we're gonna live like kingdom people, we've got to deal with the root. There's another scripture, it's found in 1 John 3, in verse 15. John echoes this when he writes the church there. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So it says if, if you hate somebody, you are a murderer. You're just as guilty of murder. Therefore, just like a, a murderer forfeits his life, a murderer, somebody who's angry or bitter or hateful is guilty of the same thing. Our thoughts of hatred and our thoughts of anger indicate an internal desire to get someone else out of our way. Now, you may not act on it and get a gun and go shoot them, but they have infringed upon your rights. They have got in your way. They have violated you in some way or another, and so we may not say them, I wish they were dead, but we angry with them, we hate them, we hold bitterness against them. Why? Because in some way, they have gotten in our way, and of course, when you act out murder, you're taking them out of your way, but you do the same thing with our thought life. When we are filled with anger, it's because someone has got in our way, or they got what we want, and they violated me. I, uh, 
I don't know if you can relate to this or not. It's happened to me on several occasions. So I'm going to have a little confession right now today. But I'm driving down the road. Got Way FM on or his radio or whatever it is you're listening, WKCL. And I'm driving down the road and I'm just praising Jesus. Of course, my eyes are opened because uh, I got to see where I'm going. And somebody cuts me off. They have just taken my place, and I got to slam on my brakes. I hit the horn, uh, and you know, just don't bump it or tap it. You, you lay into it, and I yell, "You idiot!" They can't hear me, but I'm yelling it anyway in the car. And anybody, Jeannie's heard it a few times. You idiot! Park it or drive it, buddy. Get out of my way. I don't know if that's you, it may just be me. It's interesting that the, the Bible is, has, it, uh, differentiates between someone who says raka and someone who says you fool. Now, the word raka is not a word we use commonly in our language today. So how many have said raka last week? Anybody? Okay. So you say, I'm good, pastor, I haven't used that word. But I went back and looked up the word raka means. The word raka means empty, empty. So what you are literally saying is when you say someone is raka, you're saying they're an airhead. There's nothing up top. The elevator doesn't go all the way to the top floor. Or they're a couple fries short of a happy meal. You know all the expressions that we have for other people. It's an idiot. You call them an idiot. I, I, uh, I was golfing the other day with some pastor friends, and I had my wedge out. And I'm, it's an easy approach shot, about 100 yards to the green. And I pushed it off to the right and missed the green entirely and uh, hit it kind of off towards the woods. And I said, Larry, you idiot, to myself. And one of the pastors there, who's very astute in the word of God, said, buddy, you better watch it. You're in danger of hellfire. I said, oh, yeah, sorry. Sorry about that. You, you caught me. So anyway, raka literally means uh, it's attacking a person's intelligence. Now, when it says you fool, What does the Bible say? The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Fool is dealing with a character issue because when you deduce that there is no God, you have character problems because the Bible, if you think in your heart there is no God, the fool said in his heart, there is no God. You you, uh, follow the Epicurean philosophy, which is eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If this life is all there is, I can do what I want to. I'm a God unto myself. There's no moral code. There's no code of right or wrong. If God does not exist, there is no right or wrong. We are simply animals, survival of the fittest. Therefore, I can live any way I please because there is no God. By the way, the fool has said in his heart, There is no God. When I call somebody a fool, I am judging their heart. And the Bible says only God can judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. So I make myself God when I call someone else a fool. Got that? So when I call somebody raka or an idiot or a dummy or stupid, what I'm doing is attacking their intelligence. When I call someone a fool, I am attacking their character. But in either case, I am guilty of judgment by the words of my mouth. So the offense comes out, and it comes out of my mouth, and, 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 so, so I, and I'm guilty of judgment of Almighty God. 
I become a maker of walls and a builder of walls rather than one who is taking the walls down and bringing unity and peace. Anger makes us destroyers, not builders. Builders encourage, they lift up, they edify, but an anger makes me a destroyer. In our society, I don't know if you've noticed, it's crazy. And people take guns and they go into places and they gun people down. They go up and shoot up schools. They shoot up movie theaters. They shoot up nightclubs. And there's a lot of killing going on. It is absolutely crazy. But you might not be aware of this, but most, most murders that are committed are not those random acts of violence. Most murders that happen in the United States are what are known as crimes of passion. A crime of passion is something that's done to someone you know. It's you get mad and you shoot your wife or your husband or your family or your best friend or you get in a fight or you shoot your compadre or your coworker or whatever it is. Those are called crimes of passion. It is amazing to me that in, 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 in with our words of our mouth, the people that we speak against or we come against are sometimes those who are very closest to us. And the tragedy is we'll go and meet somebody in a counter and treat them with respect, but we'll talk to our wife like a dog. That's a crime of passion. Or we'll run our husband down. Or we'll run our friends down. Or we'll run our family down. And all that sets us up to divide and, and bear offense, and we hurt the ones that are closest to us the most. Now, I want to continue to break this scripture down. It says the person who, who says you fool is in danger of hell fire. The word for hell there is the word Gehenna. And uh, that, that's the actual Hebrew word there. And Gehenna, there was a valley outside of the city of Jerusalem called the Hennon Valley or Gehenna, the Valley of Gehenna. And, and before David went in and took the city, um, it, it was controlled by the Jebusites. The Jebusites were Canaanites. And remember last week I described how that they would take their children and offer them to the god Moloch and they would create the fire in the belly of this idol and that the idol had its arms held out. They would put their babies on top of that and sacrifice their firstborn to their Canaanite gods, Moloch, so they could have a harvest. David goes in and he takes the city. And it becomes the new capital for Jerusalem. When he, after he takes the city, they take that valley of Hennon and they turn it into a garbage dump. And so it becomes the place where all the waste went and all the refuse went. And even people who could not afford, afford a proper burial, their bodies were thrown out into this valley. And they would light them and set them on fire. They would set the bodies of the of animals and people and all the trash and all the garbage and all the refuse on fire. And you could see that fire burning anytime, morning, noon, or not. Thus you get the expression about hell as a place where the fire burns forever and what happens? The worm dieth not. Why does he mention a worm? Because the worms are busy decomposing the bodies in this valley. And so you have this imagery or this picture about what the judgment or punishment is going to be like from the valley of Gehenna. Thus we get our word hell from. Now here's the problem is when, when we get angry, when we hold bitterness and we hold on to resentment, we create in our own lives a place of torment or a place of punishment or a place of judgment. So I literally, because of my unforgiveness, because of my carrying the offense, because of that stronghold that I've allowed to be erected around my life, I literally create my own life a living hell, a waste, or a place of torment. 
So when you don't forgive, when you don't release somebody, when you don't let it go, when you hang on to that offense, the person you are hurting the most is not them. Sometimes they don't even know you're mad at them. The person you're hurting the most is yourself and you are blocking the flow of God's grace and blessing in your life because of your failure to forgive somebody else and you literally place yourself in your own personal hell. Mm. Offense has a cost. When we get offended or angry, it not only displeases the Lord, but it creates real problems for us. We are hurting ourselves the very, very most. But when we forgive, we don't free the forgiven, but we free ourselves. When I forgive you, when I let it go, when I release it, then I am free to be blessed and do what God has called me to do. If I don't do that, I create another stronghold in my life. The only one damaged in offense is us. Now, there's a progression that I want to take you through. If you've not got your notes, you may want to jot these things down. The first I've been talking about already. It starts with an offense in our heart, and then often it manifests itself in external anger when I say things. And so he says, if you're angry in your heart, you're guilty of judgment. If you say raka, if you say fool, then you're guilty of punishment or judgment as well. And so it starts in the heart, it comes out of the mouth, it comes out of what we say and speak about other people. That's the first step. The second step is what I call a root of bitterness. A root of bitterness. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, look if you would at verse number 14. Got it. Make every effort to live at peace with all men and be holy. Now notice how he says being peace and living at peace with other people is the same as holiness before God. He's all about relationships, okay? Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. Misses the grace of God because of our anger, because of our bitterness, because of whatever we have, and that no bitter root grows up and causes trouble and defiles many. Now he describes a root of bitterness growing up. In other words, the Bible says when we get angry and bitter and resentful and we harbor all that inside of us, we begin to defile everything we touch. We're toxic. Ever been around somebody who's just a grumpy old man? He's not happy, he complains and gripes about everything. He doesn't like anybody, he's just, and he's miserable, totally miserable. And you want to say, dude, just let it go, man. Just let it go. Don't, don't kill yourself like this. Don't punish yourself like this. Now, if you haven't seen somebody like that, it may be you. Look inside. It could be talking to me. <laughs> Angry, defile. That root springs up and defiles everything around me and defiles my own life. That's why the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Men and wives, don't go to bed Angry. Stay up all night. Don't sleep on it. Get it worked out. Because what happens is if you don't settle the matter quickly, and by the way, he goes on in the next in a few verses later, settle the matter quickly. If you don't settle it quickly, it becomes a root that takes hold in your life and begins to literally spring up. If you simmer over that thing long enough and you brood over that, that root of bitterness grows inside of you. What you simmer over grows what you confront dies, okay? The third level, though, is the hardest to deal with. Is when that root grows and becomes a root of bitterness, it eventually becomes a stronghold or a prison. 
and you have brooded over that thing and, and nursed that thing so long, you become a prisoner by your own unforgiveness. It alludes to it right here in, in Matthew 5. Matthew 18, he tells a longer story, and I don't have time to read it, but uh, about a, a man who had two servants and a lord, and he came down and he forgave the first servant, a huge, enormous debt. And this servant saw another guy coming his way who owed him just a little bit of money, and he began to choke him and say, pay me all you owe me. When the Lord found out, the Bible says he turned him over to prison to be tormented by the tormentors day and night. When you refuse to forgive, you will be turned over to your own tormentors. Just like he said, guilty of, of hellfire, you will face hellfire, your own torment, your own pain, your own suffering, because you hang on to that grudge. And it becomes literally a stronghold or a prison that captures your emotions and locks you down. Literally, it blocks the flow of God's grace. And he goes on in that same parable and says, if you won't forgive one another, your heavenly Father can't forgive you. Now think about it, God forgave us. We offended him again and again and again, and every time we sin, we offend our holy God. But God in his mercy and grace forgives and forgives and forgives. How can we claim to be like our heavenly Father and yet I won't forgive you? Right? The question is not who is right or wrong. The problem we have is someone has violated my rights, somebody has cut me off, someone has taken my space. But here's the deal. In the kingdom of God, I have laid down my rights. In his kingdom, what I read last week, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So positionally, the Bible says, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, that Christ that liveth in me. So if I'm dead, you can't offend me. Let us think, let get in, let it get in. If you're dead, you can't be offended. You can't offend a corpse. You can laugh at it, insult it, tickle it, kick it, do whatever you wanna do. That corpse is gonna lie there. Because I am in Christ Jesus, you can't offend me. Because I love you like Christ loved the church. Mm. Ah, this is, let it go, let it go, let it go. Live in harmony with one another and then in harmony with God. Many are trapped in this prison of unforgiveness. If, if you don't think it's true, think about so-and-so that you don't like, that's offended you, it's made you mad that you're holding a grudge against. You're invited to a party or a dinner or something like that. And you walk into the room and so-and-so is in the room. What do we do? We find the other side of the room. We try to stay away from them. We keep our back to them. We don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact, don't look at them, don't make eye contact. And we do all we can to avoid them. We may leave the party early, we may slip out early, we may not even go in because so-and-so is in there. She, because he or she in that room has locked you into your own prison of your emotions. But if so-and-so is not there, what are you doing? You're a party animal. You're high-fiving everybody. You're watching the game. You're hugging everybody around you. You're cheering your team on. You're doing whatever you do. And, and, and because that person is not there. But as soon as that person comes into your space, it locks us down back into our prison cell. I, 
How, how many ladies, you're, you're walking down the, 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 the row of the grocery store. So-and-so's coming. I'll get the cart. I'm going the other way. You're laughing because you've done it. Mm. And we withdraw. We slowly become more and more offendable. We begin to notice every little detail. And it offends us until eventually the enemy has accomplished what he wants to, and that is isolation. He wants to divide and isolate the body of Christ. He doesn't want you in community. He doesn't want you in groups. He doesn't want you accountable. He wants you to divide and separate and isolate yourself. The result of all offense is so detrimental. It leaves so many walking through life alone, not enjoying life because the offense wasn't dealt with. And then it becomes a root of bitterness. It defiles everything around us. And eventually, it becomes the prison that hinders everything we do. And so the enemy has won. Steal, kill, and destroy. What do we do? I gotta go fast. What's the solution? What's our response? Number two, look at verses 23. And 24, he says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go, everybody say first. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Now the analogy is that of a priest who would come in and bring the offerings into the temple. And they would bring their sacrifices into the temple and they would sacrifice a offering for their forgiveness. An animal would be killed, they would kill the animal for forgiveness of sins. The trouble with that is, the writer of Hebrews says, the blood of bulls and goats can only cover over sins. It doesn't deal with the heart of the matter. Nonetheless, he used the analogy of someone bringing in their offering or their gift. Now let me put it in modern terms or modern analogies. If we are in our worship service and we are here singing about Yahweh and our hands are floating in the air and we're giving in the offering and we got our eyes closed and we're praying and we're doing all that and it comes to your mind that there's somebody out there I've got a fence against. He says, go and make it right. And, and here's the reason. You can sing and pray and clap and do all that stuff, but if you're carrying an offense, God can't hear it anyway. Guys, you are wasting your time. You better work out your relationships so then God can bless you, so then you're free to worship him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is simply this, that your, relation, your right relationship to others is more worshipful than your active service to God. You ever thought about that? He is saying first, first, make it right. Living in right relationships is more important to God than our acts of service for him. Jesus sees division as a real problem. Therefore, there are some things we need to drop before we can raise our hands. Listen, if you are carrying a, I, I, I can't lift much anymore, and so if I try to lift a heavy weight, and then I, I can't raise my hands. The weight's there, I cannot even raise my hand. But if I'll drop the weight, drop the offense, drop the grudge, drop the bitterness, bam, the hands can go up, and I'm free again. <laughs> drop the weight, get rid of it. You say, Pastor, you don't understand. You don't know what they did to me. <laughs> You don't know what they said. Oh. 
I'm so crushed. Listen, it's life. Everybody gets talked about. Everybody gets offended. I mean, everybody is attacked at some point in their life. Jesus said, if they said it about me, they'll say it about you. If they did it to me, they'll do it to you. Get used to it if you're a child of God. It is gonna happen. I know people have wronged you, and I'm not making light of abuse and some of the things that some of you have had to suffer in here in any way, shape, or form. Offense is a reality for everyone, but we can choose our reaction, whether to bear the weight of the offense or let it go, let it go, let it go. <laughs> oh, that was a terrible movie. No. <laughs> That's, that's okay. I watched with my grandkids. I don't watch a lot of Disney. But anyway, uh, we tend to avoid confrontation. We tend to avoid confrontation by nature. I don't like it. No one likes it. And when we simmer over it and we think about it over and over again, the problem we simmer over tends to stay. The problem I confront tends to die. And so he says in verse 25, settle the matter quickly. What we fail to deal with will ultimately deal with you and bring about your judgment and literally can lock you up. Now, here's a question that I know is going through some of your minds. You've tried this. You say, Pastor, what if they don't want to be reconciled? What if they don't receive me? What if they don't want to talk to me? What if they don't allow me? What if they don't want to be reconciled? Listen to this, this law right here. It takes one to forgive. It takes two to reconcile. Our responsibility on our part is to forgive. And then we pray for reconciliation. Let me run that, that's, that's good. We forgive, we do that. We let it go, we release it, we forgive them. And then we pray for eventual reconciliation. And, that's the, and the Bible says in Hebrews, if it be possible, as much as within you, live at peace with all men. And so this is our goal, this is our aim. But some people just don't wanna make up, they don't wanna kiss, they don't wanna get it all worked out. So I forgive them, I let it go, I don't let them affect me, I treat them like nothing ever happened in our lives before, and, and, uh, and I leave reconciliation up to God is the work of the Lord, and I pray about that because it takes one to forgive and two to reconcile. But I refuse to say locked down in my emotions, in my unforgiveness, in my bitterness. Uh, I got a pro basketball player here, come on up, Aaron. I'm not going to jam it right now. We have no goals here. So uh, anyway, I want to see if I can illustrate this for you today. There's actually a couple, several different nations for the word offense. The first is the one I've been talking about, resentment brought on by hurt or by insult. And so that's, that's offense. That's where the resentment comes in. But in sports, in basketball especially, we know what the word offense is. Offense is somebody who goes on the offense. And so they dribble the ball, and if you have the ball in your hand, you always have the potential of scoring or winning. And so offense is when I take the game to someone else, I drive the ball down the court, I shoot the ball, and there's a chance it may go in. In my case, that's a small, small chance. But anyway, it may go in, and so we have a chance to score. We have a chance to do something positively in that sport or in this analogy in our life. Now, what happens, though, is when I, he has the ball, he's on the offense, what does that immediately put me on? The defense. So I am defending my space, I'm defending my territory, I am in a defensive posture. But here's the deal, if I am always defensive, if he has the ball and I'm in the defensive, 
I can't score. I can't do what God's called me to do. I can't accomplish what God wants me to in my life. I can't be the witness I need to be. Why? Because his offense has put me on the defensive and I'm defending my rights, my space, my life, who I am, et cetera, et cetera. You, you fill in the blank because I am on the defense, okay? So what I need to do is take it back. Take it back. I need to take back control of my life, control of my future, control of my emotions, control of these strongholds that are there, and I take it back because if I have the ball, I have the potential of scoring or doing something positive. And when he gets the ball, I don't defend myself, I don't back down, I don't yell at him, I don't scream at him, I don't insult him, I don't say you raka, you airhead. I don't, I don't say that kind of stuff. What I do is I choose not to respond negatively, I take back control, and as long as I do that, I have the potential to score and do something positive with my life and in the kingdom of God. How many get it? Simple analogy. Let's stand together. Everybody standing? Let's all say it together. Take it back. Take it back. This morning, we're gonna do that. Now listen to me. We're gonna pray right now, and uh, what I want you to do we're gonna drop the weight. In a moment, we're gonna lift our hands to the Lord. Only this time, our prayer is not gonna be, I bless you, Lord, that's a great prayer. But our prayer is gonna be, God, with your help, I choose to forgive so-and-so. And you fill in the blank. You think about that person that hurt you in the past, you think about that past spouse, that past mate, your father that abused you, that person who's been mean to you, that person who fired you, that person who did you wrong, that person who cheated you in business, you fill in the blank, whatever his name is. And we're gonna release it today. And then we're gonna shout, and then we're gonna praise the Lord because it's gone. Now I will tell you, after this service, we need to also go to our brother, go to that person. So some of you need to write a letter today, some of you need to make a phone call today, some of you need to just go to somebody's house today and sit down and say, I wanna apologize. I've held this against you. Don't put the blame right back on them. I, I've held this against you because you're a jerk. That does, that's not an apology. That does not work, okay? But you go and apologize, you forgive them, you release it and you say, listen, I, I, I just want us to be right together because we're brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God and this thing's too big and so we need to get it squared away right now and I want you to forgive me. I, I want you to, I, I, and I, I just, I want you to forgive me and let's, let's pray together, let's move on, let's do what we need to do so we can work this thing out, right? Okay, so, ready to pray? Let's get our hands up. Dear Lord, right now we come to you. We thank you, God, for the word that is spoken to every single one of us because these are things that we have all dealt with in our lives. So right now, in Jesus' holy, mighty name, I release them in the name of God. I release so-and-so right now. Set them free, set me free. I forgive them in the name of almighty God, and I'll thank you, God, and I pray you'll help me to do all I can to restore that broken relationship, and I thank you, God, and I ask it now in your holy, mighty name, and everyone said amen and amen. Give the Lord praise, church, right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, mighty God, hallelujah. Hey, I love you guys, you're awesome. Go in the grace of God. If you're a guest, I'll meet you in our Connection Center. Have an awesome week. God bless you as you go. 
Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.